With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast, and today's guest is more than anybody else the number one guest that I've always wanted to have on the show, that I've always wanted to interview. I've been trying for years and years and years to talk to him, Joe Escalante of the Vandals and Kung Fu Records. And what you may or may not know is that he is actually the inspiration for this whole channel. So he is, well, we'll talk about it in the episode, but he went to law school in addition to being a essentially founding member of the Vandals, the founder of Punk Rock Records, you know, punk rock legend. He also went to law school, had a career in the business affairs department of CBS, where he's like negotiating contracts and stuff like that. He used to have a legal information radio show called Barely Legal that I used to call into all the time. And I got like everything I know about copyright and trademark pretty much I learned from that radio show and then I used it when I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch as a designer I went it's kind of the go-between between the design and legal department it's all because of him so we sat down to talk about the 25th anniversary of my favorite vandals record live fast diarrhea but we just kind of talk about his career in general talk about punk rock talk about the law and business and I don't know just all the shit I'm interested in very 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 excited have him on the show check out the 25th anniversary edition of the record if you're a vandals fan and a couple other things that you can do to support the show before we get into it number one you can share it on social media that really helps a lot because the podcast platforms don't do much there number two you can support us on patreon if you would like to patrons get every show a week early there's a chance to have me review your band there's a bunch of other benefits there that might be interesting to you there's a link to that in the show notes i also want to mention my social media coaching program if you are a creator a podcaster a youtuber anything like that that wants to turn this into your full-time job or a serious side hustle that makes you some real money this program is for you number two if you are a professional or founder ceo of some kind for example if you started a company or maybe if you're an attorney or an accountant or a chef or something like that then i can help you grow your personal brand as a way of generating more business for your company that is my bread and butter i do that shit all day long i love doing it so if you want to talk and see if it's fit for you there's a link to that in the show notes as well and with that out of the way let's get into it so well first of all i should say uh you are actually the uh the the entire reason why i started my youtube channel which now has 20 some million views uh it is called the punk rock nba so you can understand uh obviously where the inspiration comes from so thank you for that i was also the number one caller i believe on barely legal uh back in 2012 or whatever it was i didn't know that but um but i i enjoy your podcast it's just one of the best it's probably the best uh podcast that ever and even goes near punk rock oh thank you uh, so thorough and so it's just great. I mean, I just love it. Just well, it's so honest. And for anybody who's listening, Joe's old radio show, Barely Legal, was about uh, well, I guess just intellectual property law, well, law yeah. in general, but mm -hmm. particularly intellectual property law. And I should say that 
I, I developed a surprisingly good working knowledge of that stuff when I was, uh, I was a designer at Abercrombie and Fitch at the time. And wow. from the stuff that, uh, that you said on that show, I ended up being the kind of primary go between, between the design team and the legal team <laughs> because I, I was armed with the stuff you said on that show. So thank you. It was actually well, super helpful for my career. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I was, um, I just thought it was stuff that everybody in Hollywood um, would be interested in. They're all like, everybody's like, they're kind of like too nice to lawyers. They're like, oh, you better be nice to that lawyer because you're going to need that information. And when there's really um, no real need to be that nice to these lawyers. Yeah, so I thought if, if you just in Hollywood, you just, you know, get it out there and, and answer people's questions that it would be viable. And um, believe it or not, I'm still doing a version of the show on AM radio but we changed the name to, uh, it's been continuous for 14 years. Actually, I've, I've heard it. It's a little bit of a different format. Yeah. Less, less call-ins, right? Nobody calls AM radio anymore at all. And then when I was on indie, it was, I was on during the week during peak times. So people would call, you know, all the time. There's just normal thing for people to call. And then I, I moved, when indie went down, I went to, I moved over to AM radio, which I thought it was a place where it really belonged anyway. But, you know, I'm on the weekends. so. Um, there's less calls. And now, even during the week, people don't call AM radio shows. That was a thing from another era. People calling, you know, call in radio show. And now it's just, um, it's just not a thing. It's and, like being uh, the buggy whip manufacturer now. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I kind of geared it more towards Hollywood business um, news because you can always, you don't need calls to tell people what's going on in Hollywood with, the, with all the deals. And then, uh, and then sometime last year, we changed the name to uh, instead of barely legal to uh, live from Hollywood because um, barely legal is not, it's not funny anymore. No, no, it sure isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I would get out in front of that. Yes. I even had to tell, like I told the station, I think I told legal zoom, like, Oh yeah, we're getting a lot of pushback on this name. I think we got to change it. Cause I, I thought they would say, Hey, you can't change this yeah. brand. It's working. It's making money. And um, I didn't, wasn't really getting any pushback, but, I knew I was going to get it at some point. Yeah. And then I was kind of pushing back myself saying, this is disgusting. What are you know? Well, so it was a different time. And it is the only show I know that actually, it's actually live from Hollywood. If you count Burbank and uh, you know, every Sunday from five to seven, we do it and we, nobody calls, but we just, you know, I just blurt out all the uh, legal things that are happening, the business deals and a lot of movie stuff like box office and, kind of celebrating movies and trying to get people to go to the movies, which is really hard these days. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are here to talk about the 25th anniversary of Live Fast Diarrhea, which is my personal favorite Vandals album. I'm horrified that it's 25 years old. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I hope that makes you feel bad because, you know, it doesn't help me at all. No, I'm sure. You know, the, and that's, that's the album that really made me fall in love with the Vandals. My characterization, tell me what you think. My characterization of the Vandals is a punk band with the underlying theme, lyrical theme of how stupid punk is. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. I mean, it started as, this is what we thought punk was. When we started punk rock, um, it came to us in a couple different directions. It came from the Ramones. And it came from the Sex Pistols, for you know, and and Devo. It came from Devo over here or whatever. And uh, for us, being um, generally happy, well-adjusted people in Orange County, but a little bit bored uh, with the culture, bored with the hippies for sure. 
I mean, we, we, we latched onto it, but we, and we listened to all the English punk rock talking about their class um, warfare they're having there, which I think was real, but we didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And um, some people invented it. It seems like we have it. <laughs> still we, we inventing it. Yeah, still inventing it. But uh, we didn't have it. So we kind of latched onto the Devo, the Dickies, you know, maybe uh, when the toy dolls came around, that was that perfect for the Vandals. I go, that's, that's perfect. That's what we're all about. But we were, you know, just not political ever. Maybe we sneak in a few things here and there that might be seem political, but just that's more a lack of like, I've run out of ideas. And so I'm going to throw this one in there, that one in there. But mainly it's, you know, it's diarrhea, it's haircuts. But at first, you know, it's like punk rock as anything goes. And then now, over time, you have to make fun of punk rock because punk rock becomes an institution that you got to mock. Right. In Wikipedia, it says they're well known for their use of humor, preferring to use their music as a vehicle for comedy and sarcasm rather than as a platform for more serious issues. But I actually don't agree with that because I think that the Vandals really are about critical thinking. Yeah. Uh, it's just delivered in, in kind of a, a, you know, a silly way. But yes. I, think, I think there's a lot more critical thinking going on in the Vandals than you know, 99% of other punk bands. There is critical thinking. That is exactly what it is. And we also, you know, we're, we're, you know, we claim to be non-political, but we're, we're also not, not, not 100% pee-pee-poo-poo uh, band that is, um, you know, I mean, like uh, the bands that come to mind are like maybe the mentors, the mentors mm-hmm. are like, uh, they call the rape rock. And it's just, you know, it's, it's um, just kind of bottom of the barrel, least common denominator um, uh, songs about sex and violence, but ours is funny, but it's not, it's not like that. The problem is when there's a band that like really like loves the vandals Usually they think it's that, and then they right. they write songs that are that are just one hundred percent silly, and um, so that's kind of the worst thing that we ever hear from our agent. Like, hey, this opening band in this town is like you're their favorite band, and they're really huge fans. And then you see them, and you're embarrassed. You're like, you is that, <laughs> is that what you think we do? We do kazoo covers of Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, You'll love us. Yeah, it's just like. Um, so but we usually would rather if someone says, Hey, this band is, you know, exactly like, you know, RKL or the descendants or the damned or something, we'd be more interested in that. But if they say they're, Oh, they're just like you guys. They're never just like us. They're just, they're well, just- an example of that, which is not from La Fastiria, but one of my favorite Vandal songs is moving up, uh, which I, I, you know, having had that moment many, many times, at least I think this is what the song is about many, many times in my life where I thought I knew it all and then, you know, fucked up my life and said, all right, mom, maybe you were right. What do I do now? Yeah, I'm going to put on my glasses here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for the lyrics to moving up so I can remember that. <laughs> I know that that's a song that Warren wrote. I know he would have to do the same thing, I think. Oh yeah, hey mom, it's been fantastic on my own. Is it? First seemed drastic, she's still free line on my own. Yeah. My mom always used to tell me when I was in high school, she'd say, why don't you go get a job now while you still know everything? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, I think, a big, a big uh, thing for us is, like, you know, apologizing to your parents because you should every day, and almost everybody should. It's very few people who should not. So, yeah, moving up kind of – that's a universal theme that I think all of us agree on. And uh, I think I told one guy this morning that um, – asking about politics – I don't even know who 
the people in our van, our band vote for. I honestly didn't know. I couldn't, I couldn't, even in the last election, it's so polarizing. I could not tell you who either any of these people or if they voted, it just doesn't come up. Right. Well, I think what you guys have always done a really good job of highlighting, which you kind of talked about earlier, is the dogmatism in punk, which to me is the antithesis of punk. And, you know, songs like Moving Up, there's this, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword where, you know, on the one hand, punk sort of empowers you to stubbornly pursue something that you think should be done in a good way. Mm -hmm. uh, but then on the other hand, it kind of tells you not to listen to anybody even when you maybe should. Yeah. That's pretty close. I mean, it's been so long since we made a record, but the last few have been like Warren goes into a frenzy and then he writes all this stuff and then he gets tapped out. And then Dave and I and Josh take over and start contributing because by the time we think we all think we're making a record and we're all like writing something. And then you, then you, you blink and Warren has written 10 songs <laughs> and you've written half of one. And but then he, at a certain time he gets tapped out and we kind of jump in. There's never been an argument over like, hey, we can't do that. Or there's really never, it's just no one's, you know, Warren, Warren, I think Warren tries at once, every once in a while, thinks he's pushing my Catholicism buttons, but, <laughs> you know, it comes from Warren, uh, you know. Yeah, and no try one harder than that, buddy. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Try harder. Well, it's got to be one of the interesting things about the Vandals is that you have some like really world-class musicians in the band, although, you know, it's sort of positioned as a comedy punk band in Wikipedia, you know, Warren and Josh are two absolutely incredible musicians and you've had your fill-in drummers are literally the best drummers on the planet. So that's gotta be a cool experience. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Those guys are world-class studio musicians. And Dave and, I, Dave and I are like the typical guys that are in a punk band that are like, wow, is the punk band still going on? All right, I'm going to learn this song and I'm going to learn, you know, uh, as best I can. But, um, you know, it was like a long time ago and I figured out like, wow, I'm not going to be a virtuoso uh, bass player. But at least, you know, I'm in the band and with this guy. And then I look back and he's playing drums. It, it is unbelievable. It's not just a pleasure, but it's just, a, it's a surreal uh, experience to be playing drums when Josh Fries is holding down the beat. and other people in other bands are, you know, working with the drummer. They're all over. Do you just like, yeah, we're going to get this tight. And I got a friggin' machine. I got a human machine. And then the guys that take over are just as good, you know, and <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's machine after machine. We'll, Every we'll have Brooks about, Wackerman fill in for this tour. Yeah. He's like a, uh, a, 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 a younger, uh, a younger Josh freeze, which is a younger version of anything is, is never bad. And, um, then, uh, but we have like every once in a while, like, like maybe, I don't know, 10 or 20 years ago, we were like, every once in a while we'd have a tour in Europe and couldn't get anybody and we'd get a random person and it was just, oh, it just, and then it would get depressing. And I was just, like, well, it's like once you're used to driving luxury cars, you know, during, every, on a day-to-day -day basis, you're like, oh, this is just a car. But then you get stuck with some rental when you're traveling and you're like, oh, how could I ever go back to this? We've never had a bad one, but they're good, but they're not, they're not Josh. It's just like, you know, and here's, Nothing wrong with a Toyota Camry. Same it's not a Mercedes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, then we had a couple. The only weird, the weirdest one we had was um, the uh, guy from Oingo Boingo. Oh. That was one night. And he was good. I'd imagine uh, so. But, but maybe uh, just, we, just not a fit. It was a one night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a question. I've, this is a totally random question, but I've been wondering for many, many, many years. 
So my wife is Vietnamese. We've spent a lot of time in Westminster and Garden Grove. I've looked for Pizza Tran. <laughs> I've never found it. What in the world is that song about? It's such a bizarrely specific thing. We went up all up and down Bolsa. Couldn't find anything. Pizza Tran. Okay, that's a good question. You're talking to the right guy. So that's probably like 1988 or something I wrote that song. I had a girlfriend. She worked at Pizza Man in, uh, in Westminster or Huntington or in that border area or whatever. So she worked for Pizza Man. She delivered pizzas. And she would bring pizzas to my house. But she was not even Vietnamese, but her uh, sister, who I had previously dated, was her uh, stepsister, was, and her name was Tran. Okay. So she lived in the house of Tran and Tran's Vietnamese family, and they lived with the Thai family. And then the Thai, uh, like a, 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 some white guy marries a Thai woman. She invites these Vietnamese people into her home as a, um, a host when they're, you know, it, this guy was like head of security for President Key, Nguyen Cao Key. Okay. And, and him and his family, are, they come in and they stay um, with the, the, the host family. And they stay there in the house in Huntington Beach. And, they, and then pretty soon, I think the, the, the Thai woman falls in love with the Vietnamese man. And then they break up the two families. So now there's this Vietnamese girl living with this half Thai girl. And then uh, I was dating it's a couple dates with the Tran. And then when I saw her stepsister, I said, I just had to get out of there. And then, but of course I returned and started dating the, um, the other one, which is, you know, taboo, but, um, but this is innocent times, you know, these are, these are, uh, during the, um, youth and these are all, um, yeah, these are very innocent times. So you're just, you know, dating, but anyway, so I would just call her pizza Tran because her okay. sister's name is Tran. And she worked at Pizza Man. So there's a tram in your Pizza Tram. And um, I guess that's not PC, but she thought it was hilarious And uh, in my mind. Yeah, so there's kind of an amalgam of things going on in that song. And uh, Pizza Tran really was a girl that lived with a Vietnamese family and worked at Pizza Man. I knew it was some bizarrely specific thing like that. <laughs> Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the head-banging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. <laughs> But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like 
dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Well, so the, the other notable thing about you, of course, is your career as an attorney. You know, even now that would be unpopular in punk. But I have to think that back when you started, you know, down that path in the 80s or whenever it was, I would have to think that that was even more unpopular. Well, no one was expected to have a, a punk career back then. So you had to have some kind of job. There was, this is before Offspring and Green Day, uh, you know, taught us that we could all get rich from punk rock. So there was not even an aspiration. So everyone, you know, would have a career. And I, I spent, you know, plenty of time not being, uh, not going to law school and just being punk, you know, four years in between uh, undergrad and, and law school, just screwing around and touring. And, um, and then it just like, man, this is really not going anywhere. So I went to law school. And then, but I never, um, I never really practiced law. So I didn't have a legal career. I had a career in um, business affairs in, in, in TV and network television at CBS, where you did not have to be a lawyer even to have my job. You were just negotiating uh, deals um, and creating profit models for uh, syndicated television and making deals like uh, Walker, Texas Ranger was, was my main show and then Rescue 911, things like Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman and Everybody Loves Raymond. So it wasn't really being a lawyer. It was more being a, a network weasel. It's <laughs> what David Letterman used to call us. Gotcha. Network weasels. So, so I was a network weasel. And then that's why when I did that radio show, I, I really was supremely unqualified to do a legal advice radio show because I had never been a practicing attorney. But I thought I could get away with it. And the first uh, several weeks of doing that show, I had a lawyer in the booth to advise me. And then after a while, I'm like, you know, this is kind of, I'm getting it. And I studied up on intellectual property and it's kind of the same issues going over and over. Yeah. I would imagine if you listen to the first early shows, it was just terrible advice that was <laughs> wrong. Um, just things that I, you know, old wives tales that I had believed. But over time I got um, to, to where it was, you know, pretty much the only thing I knew uh, was this intellectual property stuff. So I, you know, kept it going. There was never a legal career, but there is a, I guess it looks like there was one because I'm giving this legal advice and I've made a, a, some kind of deal about this, this legal show. And every once in a while, I would like perform a legal task for a friend or if someone really, like Brooks Wackerman said, hey, I got an offer from uh, Avenge Sevenfold. Can you be my lawyer? And I'm like, I can't be your lawyer. 
you know, he goes, I know, but you've helped me before. Can you do it? So I would do it and, you know, but I would still send it to another lawyer and, uh, and then send it to him and, um, redact everything. Cause I think he didn't want you know, anybody to know that black, I think that's why he wanted me to do it. Cause he didn't want anyone in bad religion to know that he was going into Avenged Sevenfold. I so see. I redact everything, send it to a lawyer and then send it back. So that's about the, uh, um, that's part of the course. Oh, the, the, um, then the other one was the, um, the, uh, Robert Trujillo in, in Metallica. Uh, same, same thing. Just like show it to another lawyer, but that, they didn't have to redact it cause it was public knowledge. And then uh, he, you know, but if someone offers you a million dollars to be a Metallica, I, even I can just say, well, say yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what I've always really appreciated about your take on those things is like, there's one way you could look at it of like kind of nitpicking the nuances of this and that and trying to get the upper hand, or there's the sort of smarter pragmatic take is like, well, you have absolutely zero leverage and this is a net yes for you. So you should say yes. Yeah, and Robert Trujillo could have got another attorney that said, "We're going to get you the deal you deserve," and right. uh, and I'm going to, you know, um, you know, set records here. For me, it was say yes, and then go out there and dazzle them, and they're going to love you, and then it's going to be renegotiated. And now, you know, he's probably their boss. You know, I don't know, but everybody loves Robert Trujillo, right? And so he he didn't need to um, uh, uh, have it all on paper that he was going to get A, B, and C. He had it in his soul that he was going to get all those things because he's a good person and he's a super talent. So that's one of the kind of things that I, I would, you know, try to uh, advocate that kind of that style on the show. And I, I think that's as far as like, so it's almost like I'm almost not giving illegal advice. I'm giving people, you know, how to avoid, you know, legal troubles and, well, and it's, it's advice. business advice, you know, from a, you know, legal perspective or taking legal affairs into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. But mainly, yeah. but mainly the whole time I'm just like working, you know, I've been trying to like, you know, since I was in television, just trying to work and I left to start the label. But then at the label, we were making television programs and music videos and movies, just trying to worm my way back to TV because I didn't like the music business. And so mainly I've, you know, I've been, um, I just considered uh, TV my main career and, um, but TV's a hard Thing. I can always be in business affairs, but you're trying to be in a more creative uh, part of it. And you're, you know, you're selling shows. I'm working on shows, trying to sell shows. And um, it's only just this year that I've sold my first uh, show that's all mine. And, uh, th- and that's what I do now. Well, uh, congratulations. All day. I know you've been talking about this forever. So yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I tell people how to sell shows, but <laughs> I would never, I could never sell one. It's very hard. Yeah. And, then, um, and now I have one. And, uh, so hopefully it's the last job I ever have, not on this particular show, but right. writing, for, writing for the, I like writing for ancient aliens. I've been writing for them for a few years. I like having my show that I'm producing now. And then the vandals, if we, if we're allowed to play again, then we will play. But, what is it that you didn't like about the music business or don't like? Um, well, there were, it, it's like everybody in the music business, it seemed like was, was trying to make a, a big score in the, in the mainstream business. Like I got to make a big score, and in television, seem to think people seem to be in it for a longer, a longer haul. And the people that I worked with at CBS were, um, you know, like the writers were highly educated, so educated that I could not compete with them. Like I couldn't. I when I was at CBS, I didn't consider it possible to be a writer because their their world was locked up in the in the Ivy League, good old boys network, and um, and you just couldn't break in. It's hard to break in. You right. might be able to break in in children's television, 
and uh, but then you get stuck there, uh, which might be fine. So it was, um, and the actors were all trained, and they're training. So my biggest thing I notice is the actors are all training. That's like, what? Oh, you're an actor? Yeah. Are you training? Yes. And then all the the musicians that I'm hanging out with, yeah, you're a musician. Are you training? Look, I stayed up on speed four nights in a row <laughs> to learn this this instrument, and I'm done. And that was uh, most of the people that I knew. And then the promoters were um, vulgar degenerates. <laughs> well, my personal opinion and experience with music is that people in music tend to not be very good at their jobs and not have any particular qualification. And it seems like most of them are just fans who kind of stumbled into this role and kind of tried to figure it out on their, uh, you know, it, it, on the job. And generally, like their lack of knowledge shows, and I'm not trying to get up on my high horse or anything like that, but it's just shocking to me that there's people in music, like if you know how to fill out, if you know how to type a formula in Excel, you're in like the top 10% of business mind. I'm not even joking. <laughs> you're not. I'm not joking. <laughs> you're not. Oh, yeah. Like a lot of my jobs that I got, even in television was due to my ability to, to use Excel especially so for example my wife works for amazon and the standards at a real company yeah are just so much higher than anything in music that it's it's hard to, it's like trying to explain electricity to a dog yeah you know is. to explain the gulf here in standards you no know, it, it is and it was the same in tv um in television but the stakes were high and there were there was sure there's backstabbing going on and there's there's um like in, uh, you know, many industries, but entertainment, maybe even more so, but like my boss in television, like if I were, I were the, the bosses at the record labels were, were like, okay, my, my, the boss of my first record label was, was Brett Gerwitz, who quickly after our first record, you know, just went down uh, in a cocaine binge that, that just destroyed the whole label. He, he brought it back and did quite well, but that was my first taste of the record business. I remember Jay Bentley coming to me and going, hey, Brett, uh, Took all our money because he's in the hospital, cocaine binge. I'm like, well, let's be honest. We're all in punk bands. And did we ever even think we get one record out? And we had it. We toured. We did everything. Look where we are right now. And when he asked me, he goes, I have this thing on my belt. I was like, this is a golden voice, golden ticket. It gets me into every golden voice show in town every day, anytime there is one. So I don't know. I'm not worried about it. Uh, I, I, he can have the money. And he paid back, you know, the money and he, and, and he ended up doing quite well for himself. But, but, you know, that was, that was my first taste. The second record uh, label I was on, I had to run into a store that they had and steal the masters because they, you know, weren't paying anything and, and had no uh, intention of paying anything. Steal the masters, take it to another record label. And, and, and then they put it out. And then sooner or later, I'm stealing the masters from them from a, from a future release because they have decided to uh, not to put the our fear of a punk planet. They put it on a shelf, say we're not going to pay for it to be finished because we're we're all out of money. We're high, we're laying off everybody. There's no money to spend on anything. Then I see them spending all this money on a band called the Zeros uh, to make their record. And this is like this purple-haired glam Zeros thing from 1980 something. And, you know, and then, so I'm, so then I find out where those masters are and I, I've got those masters. I mean, so that's my, my, my taste of the, of the record business. None of what you described is particularly exceptional. No. And then, but my boss at, um, at CBS, at CBS Productions, I was working um, for the in-house division, uh, putting shows together. My boss was this guy named Andy Hill, 
who had a um, two championship rings from the UCLA basketball dream team of the John Wooden era. And then he, that's what he did in, in, in undergrad. And then he went on to work in television. And, um, uh, and then everybody around me, they have stuff to lose because they work very hard to, to be where they're at, I guess. Right. I don't know. So I enjoyed it a lot better. And, um, yeah, I just like television. Anyway, I like television programs. I think they're great. Of course, I like records. You know, records, a lot of them move me very much. But, but uh, my true passion is, is television anyway, and I like the business better. Now, film, on the other hand, is a, is a, is a little more like the, the music business, I think. People are hmm. coming in, and I'm going to write a movie, or I'm on a movie, and they're unemployed 90% of the time if they're a movie producer. But television is like, you know, business that keeps going. It's advertising is generated. Subscriptions are generated. So I like it. It's right here in Southern California. Why not be in it? Sure. You can grow old gracefully, but in the music business, growing old is a mess, you know? Even yeah. if you're that record level, if you're in the business side, it's still... You're, um, you know, you know, just, it's run by uh, kids. So, you know, now if you're like in the music business, you're trying to understand TikTok. I thank God I'm not involved in that. <laughs> well, I, I do have a, a media business question for you as someone who's been on kind of both sides of this equation and someone who's negotiated deals. You know, there's been a conversation for, I don't know, as long as it's been around that Spotify is bad and they should pay artists more. I don't really see things that way, but I'd be curious to hear what your take is. I think it's all kind of, you know, just whose who side do you feel like arguing that day? It's all like, you know, magic formulas. I would like, say everyone's free to negotiate for what they want. Well, that's true. That's true also. Um, and nobody's putting a gun on your head and making you put your music on Spotify. And if you think their deals are that shitty, then don't sign them. Yeah, take them down. Take down the music. But it's... Um, and if you don't do it, well, then... You, your, your revealed preferences that you actually do think that their deal is satisfactory. I don't know if, it's, if we can honestly say that this amount of money they're paying, that tiny amount, is not enough when they are risking you know, millions and billions. Billions to build and that platform. They're nuts to risk all that money on something like this. And somebody, most of the time when they're doing this, and how many of these services have there been, most people lost their ass. Yep. So they lost their ass. And then... Um, uh, so I don't have the stomach for that. I couldn't do it. But if I did, I'd want my money back. Sure. And I would be very careful about how much I paid out. And when I was told that I'm not paying enough out, you know, I'd, I'd be like, whoa, 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 maybe, you know, I think I am. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a legitimate argument and they can have that argument. I just don't know if this is, if you have a right to make a living off of this kind of stuff. I don't know. I mean, I'm making some money, but do I, have, am I being cheated and do I have a right to more money for what I do? This is the, the heart of it to me is that sense of entitlement that a lot of musicians have, uh, which is the same reason why the promoter, the label is always bad. Anytime there's a dispute between the artist and the label, the label's always bad, no matter what. Spotify is always bad. The poor musician is always the victim, the martyr who just wants to play his guitar, but the man won't let him. Yeah, um, I wrote a children's book. Someone asked me to write a children's book. Some company said, oh, when I was on the radio, and they're like, you should write a children's book. And I go, okay. It's a strange proposition. Yeah, well, I think it was a Latino-owned children's oh, book. And you're, you're uh, Mexican. You should um, write this book and you know, be part of our world. And so I wrote it, and it was called The Sign-Up Sheet. And it was about a town where you chose your career, you just signed up for your career, and that would be your career. And then pretty soon, the whole town was made up 100% of guitar <laughs> players. And the town fell apart. And then so 
you know, someone had to come and point it out and say, you know, why the world needs ditch diggers too. And, uh, what are we gonna, and then pretty soon they resolved it or whatever. I handed it in. Most people were like, they took it and they just said, never mind, keep your advance. This isn't what we had in mind. But to me, it's true to play music and get paid for. It's a privilege. I appreciate it, but there's no, you know, yeah, you can find certain times when people are being totally ripped off. Sure. I'd rather focus on those and help those people. Where people it, didn't get what they were, uh, what what everyone agreed on, right? Um, but if we're all getting what we agreed on, then I'm not sure if anyone's getting ripped off. And there's clear exploitation in in some places, but in, in, for the most part, I'm not going to dedicate my um, anger and passion to a blanket. Musicians have to get more money because some musicians deserve a lot more money, some musicians deserve less. And we shouldn't also lead people on to say that there is a sign-up sheet where you sign on a one-year musician, you have all this uh, safety net, because that's not how you make good songs. Safety net has never uh, ended up creating a good song. It's a lack of a safety net that creates songs. That is a good point. One could argue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an a- I sound like an a-hole. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, I was going to ask you, you know, I, I feel like my place in the music world is oftentimes... I don't try to be an asshole. I don't try to sort of, I don't know. I don't try to be contrarian or go against the grain or anything like that. But I find myself oftentimes being the person who takes the side of the man. And I sort of look like an asshole sometimes. I think you're oftentimes in that role too. How do you feel about that? Well, I just think it's more punk rock, number one. I'm sure you agree to uh, point out the truth or what may be the truth or at least make the argument. Yeah. Hey, this guy's got a right to, to, to be this way and say this, say this stuff or do this stuff and run his business that way. And everybody has a right to it. And you have a right to walk. You know, these are things that don't get talked about very much and they're not very popular. But I think it's people are like Simon Cowell. Mm-hmm. Simon Cowell, very valuable to, the, to, to me, to the music industry and to aspiring singers. When he came out and told people, you know, every night on that show that you, the people like, look, it takes more than what you think. You think you have it. You don't. Mm-hmm. And do you want to get here? You don't have it. And, um, and people were shocked and said he's a, he's a, a demon. But um, not only was it entertaining, I think it, it's not what, it, it was what that person needed to hear. And it's what all of America needed to hear with all these people just saying, like, I can do it. I can do it. And it's not just like crushing dreams. It's like, you know what? Maybe your wife has a dream of you having a stable income. <laughs> maybe <laughs> kids have a dream of going to college. And they don't need you spending so much time in your bar band when you should be, um, you know, throwing a ball with your kid. So there, each side has an argument, but no one was saying things like that to anybody. No one ever heard it until Simon Cowell uh, did it on TV. And you do it. Uh, you, you, you do it uh, with your YouTube stuff. And it's refreshing to me, you know, and to hear it. And it's like, oh, you know, even when it's against, you know, me and my world, I'm just like, but you got to hear it. And it's so good to hear it from a, uh, an impartial person who's using logic and business and history and putting together these um, stories. They're just, they're fantastic. So I, I, I appreciate the, you know, what you do. Very well, well, that's a very flattering note. So maybe I'll end it on that. I just have to share my favorite Joe Escalante asshole moment. I don't remember if it was from the sweat into the oldies VHS or whatever it was, some VHS that I had a long time ago where there's uh at a show, some girl comes up to the merch table and is asking you like, oh, why are shirts $15 or however much it is? Uh, they were a little bit higher than usual. And you're like, well, I got to pay for my Lexus somehow. And 
she, you know, and, and she laughed because she thought you were joking. And then it cuts to a shot of your Lexus pulling out of the parking lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I, I think there's a fair amount of, um, urban legend there because, um, well, I've never had a Lexus. Oh, well, um, someone's Lexus then you fooled me. And I, I think it was, might've been, um, it might've been sweating to the oldies where there was something in there. Like, like, yeah, like, you know, these Lexuses or whatever cars don't pay for themselves or whatever. And then I think our, um, I think Warren had a Lexus. I mean, I'm not going to say that I that I'm above saying that. I, I don't believe that particular story is very accurate. <laughs> I, I may have made that one up in my head then. Yeah, yeah, but it, you've got the right attitude, and it's <laughs> that's been said on our Instagram recently. Is um, when people complain about our merch prices now because some of them are are you know not just cheap as whatever some DIY place might be, and our the the girl that that runs our um, our online stuff she knows the right sense of humor. And, um, so when she puts something on Instagram, she usually, she usually gets it right. And then, so the joke now is like, why are these, why is this so expensive, this thing or whatever? It's, um, cause the vandals have to pay for their Teslas and beach houses is what it is now. So well, I'd uh, say, you know, who sets our prices, the invisible hand. <laughs> that's just, that's too logical. <laughs> and it, it's, it's too. So for us, it's, it's, uh, I like the Lexus joke. Someone's got to pay for this Lexus. And, um, well, let's and yeah, just pretend punk, it happened. The, punk, the last thing the punk person wants to hear, they want to hear about like, well, you know, it takes a team of immigrants to, um, you know, that we're support. I don't know what, you know, whatever righteous cause. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever righteous cause, it, it, you know, we're, we're, we're funding or whatever, but, but yeah, anyone can do that. But uh, it's like, um, it takes the vandals to say, someone's got to pay for this Lexus. Yeah. And now it's the Teslas and the beach house. And um, that's the truth of it. But that is, uh, I remember that joke. So yeah, largely apocryphal, but rude. <laughs> okay, well, I'll take it. Well, Joe, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for uh, all the great information and inspiration you've given me over the years. I appreciate it very much. And uh, congratulations on the 25th anniversary. Thank you, Finn. Congratulations on your show. And uh, anytime, keep doing what thank you, you do. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you Bye. soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact 
of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 